Tonight on Elvis Book Club. I felt somewhat like a rape victim being reprimanded for having lost her virginity. Hello, welcome to Elvis Book Club, America's only adult contemporary podcast. I'm here talking with my good friend, Pat. Hey, Pat. Hey. I'm Brad. But today you can call me Tucker Joshua. And you can call me Ethan Derringer. <laughs> Let's dive in. We read uh, Is Elvis Alive by Gail Brewer Giorgio, a woman yes. from Marietta, Georgia. Yes. Of the Marietta Brewer Giorgios. <laughs> Published in 1988. Does that seem at all right to you? This should be like 1983 or something. Yeah, I totally agree. Like culturally, it feels much earlier. Because if you think 88, it's like, that's just before like Saved by the Bell. I mean, I was 14 then when this book came out. Yeah, 88. Our, yes, that would have been our probably first year of high school. South Korea Olympics. Yeah, so, but this book definitely feels of corduroy. It smells yeah. of like cigarettes and hair and things yep. like that. Yep. This whole book reads like it smells like cigarettes, it, I think. It very much feels like a visit to my uh, my my mom's dad's house, my grandpa Jack's house. Yeah? Yeah. Big stack of National Enquirers like okay, right. next to the, the Lazy Boy. Yeah. It definitely is a book to be read in homes where no one ever opens the windows. I'm not sure it's a book even to be read. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, referenced and studied? Yeah. I mean, like- this to me, the the book is an excuse to package up the uh, the audio tape. You think it's just a vessel? It's like a tortilla to the audio. Meat? Yes, yes. Or maybe it's the other way around. Like maybe the, I don't know. This book is not good. I, that's kind of <laughs> what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's awful. So the the copies that both you and I have are these paperback copies. Big big gold letters. It says "Is Elvis Alive?" and there's a cassette tape. And as I recall. The, the tape was actually like glued onto the front cover. If you don't get the tape, there's just like a diagram of what the tape would look like. Yeah. <laughs> just to remind you that you're not getting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, I looked up a number of reviews of this book on Amazon, and that seems to be the number one comment on the book is, I didn't get tape. <laughs> tape not included. Yeah. Unhappy. But if you get the book, you do get a transcript of the tape. So You sure do. Yeah. Beyond this Reading like it smells of cigarettes and reminding you of your Uncle Jack's house. Grandpa Jack. Grandpa Jack. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Grandpa Jack and his wife, Norva Rose. Oh, wow. My feeling in reading this, her thoughts are so disorganized. Yes. And all over the map. It's the feeling of you're eating in a Waffle House and a woman plops down in your booth, unbidden, and starts just going and just telling you what's been happening up to that point. Yes. And all you can do is, is nod. (laughs) Yeah. And sort of like focus more and more on your eggs. Right. Things like that. Or your waffle, I guess. As she, yeah. And all the while she is shoving documentation, dirty paper from a dirty disheveled pile. Yes. Uncomfortably close to your meal. Right. And this documentation is like just anything even remotely related to what she's talking about yeah at one point she does reprint in here a crossword puzzle <laughs> which is yeah yeah saying elvis's middle name Contains, four letters yes and you you point out there's no context here in any of this like what do you mean by that um in so much as like her argument doesn't make any sense you're not even sure what she's arguing i mean yeah if if the title was not is elvis alive 
you wouldn't be able to figure out that she's arguing either for or against Elvis being alive. You're totally right. If this book wasn't named Is Elvis Alive, you would think it was called My Life 10 Years Ago. Yeah. Or what's, this, what's up with Gail? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't be anything but frustrated. Yeah. Well, enraged. Disgusted. <laughs> bored. <laughs> yeah. Horribly bored. Yeah. <laughs> she goes into terrible detail about really awful, boring stuff. Yep. And I think that's kind of like a dumb person's way of yeah. making things seem yes. important. Spending sort of these totally mundane things just so that like the documentation the fact that there is documentation is proof of whatever it is she's trying whatever point she's trying to get at yeah not but if you look into that documentation i don't think it bolsters any claim and like i'm not sure she's even making any claims here she says more than once i'm not arguing that like elvis is alive i'm just asking questions based on all this evidence that's that i've gathered and it's fallen into my lap she's totally without you can't blame gail yeah yeah all she's doing is spending her life collecting this (laughs) (laughs) this information yes yeah it's a bit like the documentation is like if i came up to you and said 9-11 inside job which i've said to you a million times yeah and then you go prove it and i throw down a newspaper that shows the towers falling like see yeah or you tell me that, and then I go to someone else and say, 9-11 was an inside job. And that person says, prove it. And I say, well, my friend Brad told me. Yeah, my learned friend Brad. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject, 9-11, inside job, fat? <laughs> yes or no? No. No? No. Huh. All right. <laughs> I can feel a wedge being driven between us. <laughs> yeah. So this book is primarily sizzle selling. I mean, she's got the transcript of the tape mm-hmm. and maybe a page and a half additionally of content. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just the buildup, like, and kind of talking about her story. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So the way the story goes, she is not an Elvis fan, and she's working on, she's an author. She's a, an author, a writer, and a journalist. Yeah. And a poet, as we'll yes. see. So she's no Elvis fan, and Elvis dies. And she is unduly affected by this for someone who apparently knows nothing about Elvis and cares nothing about Elvis, right? So this happens and it immediately sparks this need within her to start writing tributes to Elvis, which Mm -hmm. she sends to the local papers and poems and stuff. And she sets aside, I think, a novel that she's been working on at this point. Yeah, she realizes that these tributes and poems won't stop and her obsession with this event is interfering with her other novel. So mm-hmm. she sets that aside and in an effort to exercise this and to purge herself of this so she can get back to the important work of her initial novel, she ends up writing a book called Orion. She dives in. She starts writing Orion three days after Elvis dies. Yes. Much like Christ rising from the cave, right? It was yep. three days, I believe. Yep. And the story, oh, you mentioned, takes her 54 days to write. Yeah, which she mentions more than once. It only took her 54 days to write as if, like, that's really fast. I've never written a novel. I assume that is very quick. But uh, I think the implication is uh, she's just, you know, she's a vessel 
yeah. or she's a conduit for divine inspiration, I guess. Yeah, hers is a mediumistic writing. Yes. Right. It's almost as if the book wrote itself. <laughs> it flows through her much like Kerouac with his endless scroll of paper. That book is called Orion, details this very Elvisian singer. Elvisian in that it directly mirrors every aspect and moment of his life. Yeah. But culminates in him faking his death as a way to escape the prison of his fame. So she writes this book, Orion. She starts shopping it around, you know, obviously 54 days later. So we're now 57 days from the death of Elvis. Right. Which is pretty hot. That's two months. She writes this and she starts shopping it around and people are beyond enthused. Like they couldn't be more impressed with her writing and her sensitivity and the power of this story, which I was reading this. I thought, I doubt this very much because she actually reprints like the first chapter of the book of Orion in this book. Yes. But it is, I mean, it's exactly personally what I would never want to read. It makes me think of the Jean Teasdale character from The Onion. I don't know if you remember her. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, It's it kind of reads like fan fiction of like a soap opera. Yeah. Right? It's, it's definitely, it feels like it's aimed at lonely middle-aged women. <laughs> That's true. We smell like cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really into their cats. So the publishing world is set afire by this book, which I just thought was nonsense, even though she had this documentation that says like, Gail, you're brilliant. This is wonderful. Right. But now that I we think about it, if it was only two months after he died and she presents this thinly veiled book about his death and his life, there is a, marketing wise, that's a pretty good sell. Like- I can see publishers being enthused. And so this book is a big uh, sensation in the publishing world. It will lead to bidding wars and all this. But she now makes this very strong claim that the book was not written about Elvis. And this is one of her main theses in this book. Like, I wrote this book. It had tremendous detailed parallels with Elvis's life and the possible faking of his death. Yet, I was not an Elvis fan. I knew nothing about the man. What I had done is study mythology. Yes. Legend and myth. And And Jesus. A lot of Jesus. I think it's like mythology and Jesus. Yeah, right. Is how she terms (laughs) (laughs) it. And she then laid out this story that was not about Elvis, but was about this mythological figure, Mm -hmm. who then she finds out afterwards shares not only the basic arcs of Elvis's story, but then like surprising details of his story, which we'll get to later. So she makes all this fuss about it not being based on Elvis. And yet she's also very upfront about the passing of Elvis being the impetus for writing in the first place. Right. So it's a little confused, but she spends much of the opener disclaiming this connection between her work and Elvis's life. And she uses the same amount of obsessive energy in tying her work to mythology to greater prove that she didn't base it on Elvis, that Elvis's life just happens to line up perfectly with the mythology that she drew from, right? Which is all super boring first, but also like often these connections with her shit and the mythology is like super tenuous. Well, it's like, yeah, it's all this, well, there's a a spelling of Orion that's Arian, A-R-I-O-N, as yeah. opposed to O-R-I-O-N, and A-R-I-O-N is very close to Aaron, Elvis's middle name. Yeah, and like in creating these tenuous connections, 
I have one note here. She's making some claim on page 16, and she starts it by saying, Joshua is sometimes another name for John, meaning warrior of divine appointment. And then she goes into saying that one of her characters, Tucker Joshua, (laughs) serves that role for Orion in her novel. But like, have you ever heard that Joshua is a nickname for John? No, I've I've never heard that. (laughs) No, it's complete. That's never happened. They're totally different names. Yeah. So that's what I mean by tenuous connection. Tenuous is probably pretty generous. It's just fucking stupid. Connection is very generous. (laughs) The only connection is that she put those two words in one sentence. Right. She has, as we just saw with Tucker Joshua, she has a really unique way with her fake names. They all sound like names made up by, I don't know if you'll know what I'm talking about, but they sound like names made up by a woman who has a lot of baskets with like quilted fabric on the sides of them. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. It's almost, yeah, it's like wavy fabric. Mm-hmm. It's usually like prints of like, yeah. You know, Does this woman flowers. have a doll collection? <laughs> yeah, probably dolls. Yeah. Baskets with fa- fabric on the sides. It's that kind of vibe. Yeah. And so the names are like Danielle. And then her main character, the Elvis proxy, Orion Eckley Darnell. I mean, that sounds so like southern white trash to me (laughs) like orion yes a hero like a cosmic hero who like sings for the people eckley darnell yeah huh it's it sounds white trash in that it's it's triangly hard to be fancy yeah and it's not understanding that taste and fanciness rely on simplicity it's like a confederate general's name (laughs) definitely smokes like more cigarettes Moors? <laughs> yeah, the long, Orion. long brown ones. He's a very classy individual, yeah. so yeah. he only smokes like the long, dark cigarette. Your classy touch. Yeah. Right? Like an elegant touch. Yeah. Yes. And definitely Orion Eckley Darnell is that guy. Yeah. Like, Orion Eckley Darnell has definitely busted one in the mouth of some chick in the gravel parking lot <laughs> behind a country western bar, right? Definitely. And she was not unhappy about it. Right. He might even like drive an RV for the express purpose <laughs> of making that happen. In class and comfort? Yeah. Yeah. He's not just throwing towels down on the backseat. That's right. <laughs> so this book is out there and she's sending it around to people. And as it turns out, she gets a lot of feedback that suggests a whole lot of people know all about Elvis's faking his death. Yep. Including one great expert on Elvis. May Axton, is that who we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. She, as you may or may not know, co-wrote Heartbreak Hotel. So there you go. Yeah. I guess she also served as his PR lady for a bit afterward. So that bolsters her cred a little bit. But she sends uh, the book to her and gets great feedback and may definitely drop some pretty weighty hints suggesting that she knows that Elvis's death was faked, mm-hmm. right? Here's the question. Do Must we note that Heartbreak Hotel was the song Elvis was touring behind? It's a fun and, fact. And promoting when he was in Texas and discovered the joys of three ways. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. And now some of the things they point to, like May is particularly amazed by some of the details that Gail Brewer Giorgio has put into the book Orion, which directly mirror Elvis's life. Gail is somehow, in the writing of her novel, just intuited the fact that Elvis's favorite sandwich would be PB and Nanner with mayo. In her book, obviously, she has that as Orion's favorite snack. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Gail has been very upfront about the fact that she knows nothing about Elvis, cared nothing about Elvis, right? Yeah. So this just came to her due to, again, this channeling that happened over these 54 days. Yeah. Furious typing. Yep. Right? Yeah. She also has Orion suffering from glaucoma, which, according to May, Elvis also dealt with, which, I don't know, that sounds vaguely familiar. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I like, guess. That seems like something he would get. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, there's the only way this can be happening is that she has magical powers. She doesn't, yeah. I don't think, explicitly say, I have magical powers. Yeah. But it's the only solution. I mean, no one, no one has ever intuited peanut butter and nanner sandwiches, right? No, I mean, I think we're safe in making that claim. <laughs> so she definitely is, yeah, beset by mystical occulty powers, mm-hmm. which is very middle-aged woman in the 70s ever. Yeah, but also very, like... Elvis, too. Yeah. So Gail then does kind of drop some more hints that she's wildly psychotic. Psychotic. (laughs) (laughs) Wildly psychic. Sorry, Gail. She's claimed she's, quote, been tested in front of many authorized witnesses and proven to be highly sensitive. Oh, man. They're like that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) That that statement is emblematic of. Or, or just as representative of so much of her proof, like. How do you become an authorized witness? Yeah. Authorized by what? Some <laughs> governing body of witnesses to the paranormal? So what she's leading to basically is making this case that she's clearly tuned into many details of Elvis's life. So possibly it stands to reason that she also tuned in to the fact that he, as in the climax of the Orion book, faked his death. Mm-hmm. Right. And thus engendered all the drama that is about to befall this woman. Yeah. Right? So the book comes out, and shortly thereafter, Sun Records, original label of Elvis Presley, releases the first Orion album. Orion is in no way affiliated with Gail Brewer Giorgio and her book. Yeah, she's very clear about this. Orion, if you don't know, is a masked singer with the most well-combed hair on the planet. Yeah. I mean, it is well-combed, right? (laughs) Yeah. Looks very soft. Yep. He sounds almost identical to Elvis in his singing. Yes. He sings kind of... But I would you... I mean, he is a good... It is a good impersonation of Elvis, but do you think, like... would? Would you be fooled if you didn't know it was Orion? Like, I don't think it's that good. I think, I think I would be. F- if I was sitting down and they were going, I was doing like an A B test. Mm-hmm. I probably would not be fooled. I think he's very, very good. But I if he, I was listening, he's definitely a talented singer. I just don't know like how exactly a facsimile of Elvis's voice he is. Yeah, but I think he's very close. Yeah. There's no question he's very close. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're listening critically, going which is Elvis, which isn't, you would probably guess correctly. Yeah. But if you were just listening to an Elvis album and one of those songs that he recorded were on it, Mm -hmm. I believe it would just slip right by. So I think he's good. I I wouldn't take anything away from him. He is a good, he's a credible singer. But back to the description, he's got, well, he's well coiffed. Oh, yeah. He's got a, a... 
a good voice, a good Elvis voice. Yep. And then in order to obscure his identity, he wears a Lone Ranger mask. Yeah, which is like often bejeweled. Yes, yes. There's definitely like some flair involved on those. Yeah, yeah. it's very slick. And so on this record... On... And is it, it's worth mentioning too, the, the title of this record is Reborn. Yeah. So they're leaning heavy into the is he or isn't he yeah. aspect. Yeah. The whole marketing obviously is, is this Elvis? You think? <laughs> this is Elvis? Probably Elvis? Could be, right? Yeah. And this is 78, right? Mm-hmm. So right out, right on the heels of his passing, alleged passing. Or is it um, 79? Oh, yeah. No, you're right. 79. Sorry. 79. Mm-hmm. So still very, very quick. So not only is this singer taking the name... And they take the full name, Orion Eckley Darnell. On the back of the album, they list a bunch of like, you know, Gail had made up like a manager's name for Orion. It's like Mac Weissman or something like that. Something like that. And that, that person's credited on the back cover. And her fictional Graceland is called Dixieland, which yeah. I think is like where you're supposed to write to, to contact Orion. Right. Yeah. And then- as if that weren't enough, they also reprint a big chunk of her book <laughs> on the back cover. And she knows nothing about this, and she is shocked. So the guy's actual name is Jimmy Ellis. Well, according to her, the name is Jimmy Ellis, and he's a guy, as many people in the Elvis story, in the Elvis peripheral fandom slash scholarship world, there's a lot of guys with multiple names. Yeah. You'll see, which is kind of yeah. fun. His actual name seems to be Jimmy Hughes Bell, which is a kick-ass name yeah that's definitely it's a good racist name but jimmy ellis i think is what he's more commonly known as and you found a video with him uh yes i highly recommend this video it's called look me up and lay it on me you can find (laughs) it on youtube it's clearly it's a a lip-sync performance in front of a baffled european television (laughs) studio audience he comes out and sings this song and kind of dances around a little bit and we get lots of reaction shots from the from the crowd. And uh, I think the song itself is pretty good. It's pretty catchy. But the, the ambiance of, of this video is just crazy. It feels to me like it's the, the beginning of some, like, terrible ritual. Like Jimmy come, or Orion, sorry, comes out, sings this song. And when it's over, we're taking one of you saps from the audience and we're going <laughs> to kill you on stage. Whoa. Yeah. Really? That's what it feels like to me. But. Heavy. Really projecting there. All right. Well, let's hear a little bit, and the listener can decide for themselves if this is a credible (laughs) Ellis impersonator. Uh, Here we go. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a, a really catchy tune. So basically, Son just rips off Gail, just the most shameless ripping off that's right. ever happened. Yeah. She'd take her whole concept, chunks of her book, just everything, uh-huh. slap it on a record, and she finds out, and she is not happy, and yet she doesn't want to litigate. She doesn't want to sue. Right. She's worried that it will turn the Orion book into something more like farcical. That's what, yes. Like, yeah. She also talks about... There being a lot of money behind Orion, which how much money can there be behind Orion at Sun Records? Yeah. She also considers at one point that maybe the Sun Orion project is in some way part of this larger conspiracy against mm-hmm. her in that 
she again she stumbled on this truth of Elvis having faked his death. Yeah. And so that this was almost like a psyops ploy to make Ryan into this kind of cartoony singer character again to kind of discredit her her work to make it seem more silly and cartoony. Right. Uh-huh. This brings in the main analogy of the book, which she returns to ad nauseum that she feels like David and Goliath. And just so we're clear, she feels like David. Yeah, yeah. If you hadn't picked up on that. She's constantly, yeah, in a David position, dealing with these Goliaths, such as Son. (laughs) The Goliath that is Son Records. (laughs) Who is, I mean, if they're making their money by having people pretend to be Elvis, is like, how how Goliath-y can they be? Yeah, for some reason, my the image I think of, the image that comes to mind of Sun Records in the late seventies is like Jerry Lee Lewis, like in in some sands belt trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Sun is seems like an enormously trashy operation. And talking oh, yeah. about sands belts, like they do talk about after Orion's released, they released an album uh, called Duets with the Killer Jerry Lee mm-hmm. Lewis, which is him singing with a person who sounds exactly like Elvis, but is not credited. On the album, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like a mystery. Yeah. Who could this be? Right. Who sounds exactly like Elvis that we can't say his name because he's under contract with someone else. So they're a label that's doing that kind of shit. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that is like distributed exclusively to truck stops. Yep. Like that kind of thing, right? It's just eight tracks. Yeah. Like probably sold with packs of cigarettes, cellophane to them. Right. Or right. maybe like, maybe even a TV commercial. Like, yeah. Got, the only way you can buy it is by like calling the number. Yeah. You can't go to the record store and get it. Yeah, it's like commercial fades in. Jerry Lee's like playing the good. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've met many men over the times in my life and none more special than, well, I can't say his name, but let's take a listen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have that kind of vibe. Super trashy. They also, this really, well, I love this. This really tickled me. <laughs> and Gail, for some reason, puts this in there too. I guess to further document the fact that they stole like all these details yeah. of her character. It's Orion. a press release from Sun Records, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just goes through, you know, like height, weight, and that kind of shit, and born here, and that kind of stuff. Like, I guess the idea would be like teenage girls like, being really excited about that. Fuel for your dreams, Or I maybe, guess. yeah. But they, uh, and one of the uh, entries is favorite color, mm-hmm. to which he answers white. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know, that's so funny to me. Yeah. And I don't know, 10 years ago, that probably wouldn't have been funny to me at all. I wouldn't have even, wouldn't even thought twice about it, but. I, I kind of feel like it, like white is his favorite color because like that's the, his, all of his favorite foods are white too. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like biscuits and gravy and Wonder Bread. Yeah. Mashed potatoes. Yeah. Snowballs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cream. <laughs> yeah. Milk. <laughs> Yeah, think about it. I really like white food too. Yeah. Good. You know? Rice. Bacon fat. <laughs> What's interesting, and this doesn't really explicitly come up, but the more you read about the Orion idea, the more it actually does sound like something Elvis would have come up with. You know? <laughs> like if you imagine him in like the last years of his life where he's all looted out, yeah. laying in that giant bed. In you know some darkened bedroom, yeah, yeah, and it's like eleven thirty in the morning. Yeah, like the whole idea, like I will go away and I will come back as <laughs> oh Ryan. Yeah, and then somebody says like, "Buddy, won't they know it's you?" How, like, 
Yeah. Well, I'll put a mask on, man. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the idea that I'm going to fake my death, get away from all this, and then Go two right years later, <laughs> I'm going to come back, <laughs> sing the same way, I'll wear a mask, but we'll market it like as an is he or isn't he. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thrust. And also, I will go and I'll play shittier venues. I'll have, yeah. to, I'll have to work a, probably a whole lot harder. Yeah. Make a whole lot less money. But I guess he wouldn't be doing it for the money. But, like, yeah. I, yeah. Just it's, the love. Yeah. Yeah, during the county fair circuit, I yeah. think you pointed out. <laughs> like, it's the perfect level of, like, just weird Elvis occultiness. Uh-huh. Just total not thinking things through. <laughs> yeah. Drug abuser. <laughs> like planning, yeah. right? So anyway, as the story continues and she starts learning more and more about this Orion character, most notably and shockingly that there are two Orions. And so the idea there is that, okay, so Elvis had his whole plan to fake his death. He'd start wearing a mask, come back as Orion two years later. And someone probably went, but Elvis... People are going to, maybe people are going to figure it out, especially when we start marketing you as possibly maybe Elvis uh-huh. could be, maybe. And so they had a pretty clever idea, which is like, well, we'll have two people dressed up like Orion. And that way, if someone goes, we can always point to it being someone else. Like mm-hmm. we can expose it as Jimmy Ellis. Oh, Orion's actually this other guy. And that'll give Elvis the opportunity to sing as he normally sings in his normal voice mm-hmm. and perform. But people, we, we've established that it's this other guy. This masked person you're seeing on stage is actually, actually this Jimmy Ellis. Yeah. Which is kind of clever, really. Yeah. Well, and I love the idea, too, of Elvis being, like, such a dedicated performer. Like, I'm trapped in this prison of fame, and I want to get out of it, but I still have to get out there in front of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I do believe. <laughs> I, when you talk about did Elvis pretend that he died that would be my one thing like i do not think he would want to live a life where he's not performing yeah 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 and that might just be in church you know yep. but i think he his singing in front of people is like his main reason for living right, right. and yeah pork and chicks yeah definitely two at a time yeah chick porking and and song singing <laughs> yeah and ripping around in golf carts and shit like that. <laughs> yeah or his trike yeah so it's actually interesting, this having two people <clears throat> secretly involved in this one fake character is actually the same thing. I found this very striking. It's the same thing that Andy Kaufman and Bob Zamuda did with the Tony Clifton character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be, it's the same function as what they're talking about here with the two Elvises. And then you actually get into some, there's a little bit of weirdness, because then you consider the fact that Andy Kaufman did have these ties to Memphis. So he was, yeah. you know. There's interesting connection there. Yeah. So now Gail moves into having established that there are two Orions. She goes in deep into the evidence that Elvis is still alive. Evidence is in giant quotation marks, I would yeah. say. Evidence to her. And I hate all this stuff. I mean, this is like, I don't know. It's just stuff we've been hearing for years and it's always been dull. But getting into like, you know, the first thing, like the wax dummy yeah. in the coffin. Which is hilarious. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> She's like, she makes a big deal, a, a big deal about like, yeah, a, a lot of people said he didn't look like him, and they say it was a wax dummy, 
And the reason we know it was a wax dummy is because the casket weighed 900 pounds. Yeah. And the reason it weighed 900 pounds was because they had to ha- install an AC unit in there so the wax dummy wouldn't melt. Well, you you raised the really good point of like who made this wax dummy. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I can see like Elvis decides like all right I'm gonna <laughs> fake my death we're gonna go through with it and in order to make it like convincing we gotta show a body so hey dad let's get let's get to work on making a wax dummy yeah and so like they they like flip open a card table in Elvis's room and like get the get the wax <laughs> together and they start like throwing wads on the table like looks like a head and you know they're working for hours on it sweaty browed and you know all the tools and a big mess and like finally they're done and they step back and you know they're sweating and one of them says like god damn it's the spitting image (laughs) then you look on the table and it looks like mr bill or gumby or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean this whole idea like obviously there's the photo of this allegedly wax corpse that got printed in the National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it looks reasonably like Elvis. I can see people say, oh, he has like a pug nose and his forehead's off and all this stuff. Yeah. Now, the fact is, Graceland, they had a public showing where they let as many fans as go through and see the corpse, right? Mm-hmm. And they were very adamant, Graceland was very adamant that no photos were to be taken. Um, and it's estimated that 20,000 people went through and saw this thing. And yet, the 20,000 people who saw it, very few had anything. You would think- Yeah, you'd think that like immediately, like if this was a wax dummy, I'm sure there are reporters set up at like the entrance and exit to to this and to gauge people's reaction. So like, don't you think immediately afterward, people would be coming out of there and just be like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And would want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, The fact is like- if that photo is a wax dummy, it makes much more sense to me that the photographer faked it, didn't go through all the hassle of trying to steal a photo, which is obviously very difficult, but in fact just made a shitty wax dummy and sold it to the National Enquirer because right. I'm sure they got a pretty penny for it. Yeah. And why go through all this ha- headache of like trying to get a photo you probably couldn't get? Maybe they tried and yeah. weren't able to get one. And maybe uh, just like, maybe dead people just look, after they've been embalmed, look different. Yeah. You know, there's that too. If it doesn't look like Elvis in this blurry, out of focus, grainy, black and white shot, it would definitely not look like him in live person right. to the 20,000 people who went through. So, yeah, I feel that the photo was, my theory is that it was faked by the photographer, if it's fake. Yeah. And I think it probably is. That works for me. They go into a whole thing like that Vernon called some fan club presidents <laughs> and told them not to come. And Gail's reasoning behind this is that, oh, the fan club people really knew Elvis and they really loved Elvis. Yeah. So they wouldn't have been fooled by this wax dummy, right? Yeah. The reasoning couldn't have been like, oh, Jesus, like it's those annoying fan club people. Can we just like not have them here? Can I please not have to deal with them while we're like going through this? Yeah. Or the reason could certainly be that 80,000 people showed up. Mm-hmm. There were 80, they had to call in the National Guard Jeez. to direct traffic and stuff. Uh-huh. 80,000 people were at the gates of Graceland. Like, of course, Vernon was like, don't come. Yeah. Don't come. <laughs> There's way too many fucking people already. Yeah. You know? I mean, 20,000 people were, got through that thing. It's yeah. insane. 
So of course he doesn't want them coming. And the idea that, oh, they know what Elvis looks like. But it's like, so everyone else who knew Elvis is in on the, anyone who had actually met Elvis? I mean, celebrities were there. Like John Wayne was there. Uh-huh. You think everyone either is in on the fact that he's faking his death and then we're able to keep that secret. Uh-huh. And I got to say, I'm a John Wayne fan, but I do not see him as a great secret keeper. <laughs> I see him as a guy who has a few drinks at night and will let loose <laughs> yeah. with a couple of stories. Yeah. Uh, same with Burt Reynolds was there. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I could see Burt Reynolds holding on to a secret like yeah. that pretty good. Yeah. Right? But yeah, so it's it's ludicrous that somehow, since you're a bigger fan of Elvis, you would recognize like a fake mm-hmm. when that's such an ingrained human ability. Like, you know, the whole uncanny valley yeah. phenomenon is based on that. Like, we're so good at recognizing any small minute detail being off with a person, mm-hmm. you know, that our body seizes up. We're like, ugh, <laughs> yeah. something's off. So unless it was 20,000 people going, ugh, right. <laughs> it's pretty suspect. So then we get into the spelling of Aaron on the tombstone or whatever it's. This, is, this isn't anything, evidence of anything other than maybe like vernon's not like the most detail-oriented dude (laughs) yeah (laughs) if he's taking care of all the arrangements she mentions that like if elvis is alive he wouldn't he was superstitious and wouldn't put his real name on his grave so that's why his name is spelled with two a's at graceland on on the grave marker yeah and i'm not convinced (laughs) yeah so the idea is that if you look on the grave marker, it's spelled with one A, A-R-O, or not, it's, it's spelled with two A's. Two A's, right, which is not the name on his birth certificate, which is not how he spelled his middle name yeah. uh, throughout his life. Well, so if you look on the grave marker, it's spelled with two A's. His name was actually the one A, as you said, that's not his birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, she goes, her general theory is that, yeah, he's so superstitious that no way would he tempt fate. By putting his actual name on this gravestone. Yeah. So it's his way of dodging. So he wouldn't tempt fate, but he would leave all these like clues <laughs> yeah. that he's still alive. Yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, you seem to not buy that Elvis would be that superstitious, but mm-hmm. I totally buy that. I just think it's like one such little detail that like I would think Elvis would be willing to, to swallow it. Yeah. To, so that he could really fake his death. And cover his tracks. Or he could have just gone Elvis A. Presley. Yeah. And been, been done with it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, but I looked into it a little bit, and it does seem like actually the truth is that both spellings are somewhat, somewhat correct. Elvis was named after, the middle name was given in tribute to a guy with, I think, two A's. had spelled his name the normal way, two A's. But then on the birth certificate, it's only one A, mm-hmm. which I believe is considered a mistake, which raises the question like, I don't know, were Vernon and Gladys literate? I don't know. I mean, I guess Vernon, well, I guess I guess if he could forge a check, he yeah. could write. Yeah, for sure. So I guess so, right? Yep. And I imagine if he was, if he could write, then Gladys probably could. Although I do like the idea of like, hey, Vernon signed this and he just, just a big X. <laughs> X. <laughs> he just spits on the paper. Yeah. Hands back to so it was allegedly kind of misspelled on the birth certificate, but then it's spelled one way in a couple of documents. I think two A's in some state documents and some high school records, it has two A's. So he kind of bounced back and forth uh, throughout his life. And then according to one source I read online, I forget the 
where it was from. Elvis later in life wanted to officially change it to Double A's because mm-hmm. that was the biblical name. Yeah. And so Vernon was just going along with those wishes. Honoring those wishes posthumously. Yeah. Which I buy. I also totally buy, as you kind of said, Vernon just fuck things up. Like, Yeah. I mean, like, if if we look at the life of Vernon Presley and his reputation, <laughs> like, if, if he gets some things wrong, like, during his, like, making his son's funeral arrangements, which is, I mean, he's probably, I mean, he's grieving as well. Right. Or, yeah. you know, or is he? But, yeah, like, he's bound to make some mistakes. It's Vernon. Yeah. Yeah. Arranging for a funeral is obviously very trying, but then you're doing that with 80,000 people trying to break into your house. Yeah. And you're not a super genius to begin with. No, it must be insane. Like, there's newscasters everywhere. Like, you're not getting them. I'm sure the phone is ringing day and night. Yeah. And he's going through a divorce, which we'll talk about later. At that point, he's already been separated from D, the divorce in 77. So he's got a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. So more corpse proof. The star David. So Elvis, after Gladys died, it was years after that, Elvis started getting into, uh, I guess, Jewish stuff. Taking kind of the Sammy Davis joke of like, I don't want to get left out of heaven on a technicality. So I'll wear a crucifix and a star David and upside down cross Mm -hmm. and all the whole thing. So Elvis, when he was... At that moment, or once Elvis got down with Judaism, he went back and added a Star of David to uh, Gladys's grave marker, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, I don't know how much she would have liked that. <laughs> yeah. But so then when Elvis allegedly passes away and his, his marker, there is no Star of David. And so Gail and many newsletter people and fan club people point to that as, well, Elvis was clearly, if you thought it was important enough to put it on to Gladys's Obviously, he'd want that on his own. Mm-hmm. But to my mind, it's like I could very easily see Vernon not wanting any Jew shit in the backyard, right? I, it's not out of the realm of possibility for sure. Like, like, yeah. I mean, when my dad died, he didn't want to pay to be buried. So we had like a family marker where my mom is. And so his whole plan was he put like flower pots there. Mm-hmm. And then once he was to die, I was supposed to cremate him and then just put him in the flower pots uh-huh. so that he would be there, but he, we wouldn't have to pay, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he made me promise to do that. But of course, the second he kicked, I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> I will just pay to have you buried like a normal human being, <laughs> yeah. right? So I understand this. I could see Vernon taking a very similar thing where he gets the checklist of like, when I die, mm-hmm. you know, I want double A's on my thing and- Star David and him just like, no, that's not even as a nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, I don't know, like Vernon's a notorious cheapskate too, right? So yeah. like maybe it's just like, yeah, that's too much money. Yeah, yeah. It's like how much for some, that Jewish thing? Put that in there? <laughs> no, no. 25 bucks? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I could probably scratch it in myself. Out there with his keys. <laughs> yeah. And you make the point, like, wouldn't it be more suspect if- Vernon did everything right. Like yeah. if everything was perfect, yeah. Be like this is not. This is beyond Vernon's doing. Right, right. God, just like <clears throat> Vernon sitting on the couch at Graceland and like watching the the procession of all the people, and Elvis like behind the couch, just like whispers up, <laughs> "Daddy, <laughs> make sure you get that Star David on my 
Oh, on my grave. Yeah. <laughs> right oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> also, we're running out of finger sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. So then Gail gets into... She's kind of off corpse proof, and she gets into facts of Elvis's life that point to his having the facility to do this, the faculties to fake his own death. Right. And allow me to present her proof. Please. Numerology. Yeah. Um, well, what do you mean by numerology? Numerology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elvis, Elvis was in the numerology. It's true. Yeah. No, it's true, but she doesn't... I don't think she even... What numbers does she talk about oh. as, as related to Elvis? Oh, I got a bunch. Oh, do you? Maybe number eight. What, are you saying that she doesn't note on page 65 that eight was Elvis's numerical vibration? Same as Gail's and Jesus of Nazareth? See, I all I remember Nazareth's is, number one son? All I remember in regard to numerology is the stuff, like you mentioned it in the notes, Barbara Streisand and the number 24. Well, the Barbara Streisand <clears throat> thing... Barbara asked him to play the older star in her version of Star is Born, mm-hmm. which later went to Chris Christopherson, double K. Yeah. And the colonel kind of thwarted those plans. And I had openly speculated about how well Elvis and Streisand would have gotten along, mm-hmm. you know? But then reading this, it, it did occur to me that, in fact, very much like Gail Brewer Giorgio, I intuited the fact that I, I said to myself, I bet Streisand likes numerology i bet that's important <laughs> shit to her right yeah it's uh, as, a, as if the universe is speaking through you brad <laughs> uh and i figured if so then that could have been a very good link between her i can see them sitting in their little actor chairs on set talking oh. numerology throwing the i ching or whatever the fuck they're doing yeah yeah just like computating yeah a bunch of teamsters standing around like waiting for like let's get on with the movie making and they're just like Locked in conversation. She's like, well, we can't film this scene until 11.13. Oh. Right? No, it's yeah. being like, looks out from his spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And we must be done by 11.20. Yeah. So I could see them bonding on that. Elvis, I, according to Gail, and this, I buy this, and I think I've actually read this elsewhere, maybe in a Geller book, that Elvis was a devotee of something called the Cherio's Book of Numerology, Book of Numbers, Cherio's Book of Numbers, yeah, which is his guide to the vibration of numbers. So apparently Elvis would carry this everywhere. He would consult this. He would make all his plans based on this. You know, like she makes the claim that he would like set up his tour dates and stuff based on this. But Do you think Elvis is really like setting up his tour dates? Fuck no. Yeah. Or that the colonel's allowing that? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, man, we can't go out until August 24th, you know? <laughs> I mean, no fucking way. So I can see him being, obviously Elvis was super into the occult shit. He didn't consider it occult shit, but he was definitely, much like he didn't consider prescription drugs, drugs. Yeah. He didn't consider this stuff all occult stuff, but he was definitely into like telekinesis. Yeah. And like all that ESP (laughs) and stuff. No question he tried to bend spoons with the power of his mind. There's no question. Yeah. Well, he- he could move clouds with the power of his mind, as detailed in Elvis What Happened, yeah. which we'll get to. And clouds are actually surprisingly heavy, so that's not a that's no easy feat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's, he's a numerology guy, but the claim here is that he often mentioned that he died the same age and the same day as Gladys. 
I don't know if I've ever heard that anywhere else. I could see him saying that. It's a little crazy, but yeah. But the fact is, you know, Elvis died when he was 42, Gladys when she was 46, which seems to be a discrepancy. But Gail neatly sorts that out by saying that she was really 42. And that's it. Yeah. She has yeah, no, yeah. there's no backup. She just says, yeah, but she was actually 42. So <laughs> it's like, what? So she sidesteps that nicely, ties yeah. that up. And then uh, the fact is she died on the 14th and Elvis died on the 16th. Mm-hmm. And so she claims there that the 16th, as it turned out, actually after Elvis did a lot of computating, the vibrations of the numbers said that 16 was actually a superior date for him to fake his death. So her thesis here is that it was super important to Elvis that he die the same day and date as his mother. He didn't, he couldn't wait another four years. So we get around that by the fact that the mother was just lying about her age. And then he figured 16th was close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Like good enough. Yeah. My lifelong ambition. Eh, good enough. Uh, Then she gets into some other very compelling stuff. Part of the reason he picked 8-16-1977 for the death date uh, is that if you add up those numbers, what do you get? 2001. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what's Elvis's theme song? Uh, the theme from 2001. Uh-huh. <sighs> and what's the name of one of the spaceships in the movie 2001? Orion. Yeah. Yep. So she gets into a whole thing. I'd never heard this anywhere. I'd never even considered this, that the death faking involved him actually having to fake his death to like the paramedics, like the paramedics <laughs> yeah. weren't into it yeah. or in on it, excuse me, which is like so ludicrous <laughs> and makes so little sense. But yeah, she goes into this whole thing about her theory is that Elvis actually had to fake his death. So he was actually faking it to Ginger, anyone who came up to work on him and then the paramedics. Mm-hmm. So he had to like appear to be a, lifeless corpse yeah. as they're trying to resuscitate him, uh-huh. as these professionals are trying to resuscitate him, get him on the ambulance, take him all the way to the hospital. And then at some point, I mean, they established that he was uh, friends with some guys in the morgue because apparently Elvis would go and hang out at the morgue. Oh, that's nights. right. Yeah. I think there are more stories about that, like him hanging out at funeral homes after hours, like just showing up because yeah. he was fascinated with death and dead bodies, maybe. Yeah, looking at bodies and stuff. I don't know. Might might want to fact fact check that one. Listeners, but <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, this I think that was a thing for Elvis. It's a good question of how he would manage to do this, and she has a couple of theories. One is that he utilized his master level knowledge of drugs to achieve a death like coma state, which is I mean, he definitely did his research on drugs. Mm-hmm. He did. He was known to carry around desk reference or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, dude. Drug-induced coma states make your heart stop beating and make you stop breathing? <laughs> I don't know. I I would guess not. I assume you have to continue to breathe. <laughs> yeah. So, but Gail has an answer for that in that Elvis had studied on this mountaintop retreat that overlooks Pasadena. Pasadena, yeah. Where he learned all sorts of like mystic abilities. He said he w- went there and they asked him immediately what he wanted and he said he wanted to learn how to materialize and dematerialize at will. And we'll remember, we'll see that Elvis there is very wise in throwing at will in there. Because uh, if you remember in the Greenwood book, he prays for Gladys to go away and she dies. 
So he's realizing that he has to be very specific in his mystical requests, <laughs> right? So he he gets this training up in the mountains, in the hilltops above Pasadena. He's a very advanced student. The students up there could hold their breath for up to a half hour. Yeah. And Gail makes the claim that Elvis, being a very advanced student, could certainly do that. Of course, that theory is challenged by any live recording made of Elvis in the last two years of his life <laughs> yeah. where he can't get through a sentence without huffing and puffing. Yeah. You know, he literally has a guy on stage to bring him water <laughs> like to, d- <laughs> to douse off his forehead yeah. from talking. So apparently he learns all this stuff. He also learns up there in Pasadena to make his heartbeat inaudible, I guess also invisible if it's going to fake paramedics, unless they're really bad paramedics. Um, he attains total mind control of the body to be able to slip in and out of trance states and to control breathing and body temperature. So basically, he learns all this, and he's utilizing this to fake out the paramedics. I am curious about this. I have only heard mention of two houses overlooking Pasadena. There's this, which seems like a pretty suspect occulty place. Mm-hmm. And then, as I'm sure you know, in Rudy Ray Moore's film, Humor Tornado, there are nefarious goings-on in a house on the hill in Pasadena. So you wonder if there is some weird connection, like did Rudy Ray catch wind of this weird place where people are learning to hold their breath for a half hour and control body <laughs> temperature and just got all scared and wrote that into the, you know, I, I don't remember who wrote that, Cliff Rockamore maybe. I don't know. Or Jerry Jones. So interesting. It's something to keep our eyes open. Yeah. About this weird house on the hill in Pasadena. Yeah. So there's a weird part where Gail is quoting the VP of the hospital where they took Elvis's body, claiming that they pulled Elvis's guts out but never put him back in. To, to which Gail asks, why? <laughs> and to which I would ask, why would you say that? <laughs> why would you bring that up, VP of the hospital? Yeah. Like, in case you're wondering. So was we someone's like- Elvis's guts out of his torso. Yeah. yeah. This coffin ought to be 912 pounds. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Where's his guts? So that's a super weird and fun, I don't know what you would call that, <laughs> diversion. But you got to wonder, like, so what do you do with Elvis's guts? Like, it made me think coroners must keep souvenirs of celebrities. I would think so. You have to. Yeah. If you are, if you, they wheel in Elvis's body, and A, you better hope he's not faking yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like opening one eye. Like, wait, wait, what's going on? <laughs> Pull out this big saw. Yeah. Hey, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> they start, they're fiddling with his stomach. Hey, hey now. All right, fun's fun. But you got to think if you're looking at it, you got a pile of Elvis's guts, and you're thinking, "Fuck, man, I got to keep something." Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, just a little bit of intestine or like a liver. I don't know if I would go with like soft body parts maybe like a little bit of bone oh really uh, yeah or or a, a lock of hair like gail seems to think that uh like, again i don't know what to make of this but somebody spies yeah. or mentions that elvis's sideburns need to be glued back down yeah um, when he's his body's in the casket and i guess that's supposed to be proof that it's not elvis because he died with big bushy sideburns or something like that yeah but it seems to me like if you're going to keep something maybe i don't know if you can't get a lock of hair maybe you shave the shave the sideburns off and put all put all of his whiskers in a in a bell jar or something and <laughs> <laughs> keep it on the mantle at home yeah try that's, to sell them 
yeah, imagine the locks of hair would go for, you could oh. make a pretty penny. Yeah. Yeah, I would be auctioning him off like, <laughs> like it was a car that broke down in my yard, you know, yeah. just like come and pick it apart. Like, yeah, I got to imagine corners have to be keeping souvenirs of celebrities. And you got to imagine for their own personal souvenirs, they probably each have, I bet a lot of them have their own things they like. Like, I always take the liver. Oh, Look at this. So you think that like there are guys and gals with like freezers full of like pieces of dead celebrities? I like, think so. Not oh, free. I think they're on the mantle. I think they're in like jars of whatever that oh, okay, goo is, okay. like Frankenstein sauce yeah, that they yeah. put body parts in. But yeah, I think, is that, of course you're gonna. If they wheel in like, I don't know. Kurt Cobain. Yes. Are you not going to keep something? Yeah. You're going to keep something. And I, so I, I can see people being into like different things, like, and probably like coroners trading things. So like, if you're the, oh, man. if you're the liver guy, you know, and I know you, you across the country. I'm the nuts guy. I got, <laughs> yeah. I got all the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like send the nuts to Pat. <laughs> yeah. And then you, cause you know, you know, I'm the, uh, I'm the poo guy <laughs> when they wheel in Horshack's body. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm sending a seat this poo for Brad. They squeeze out a little poo. Squeeze it all out. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And then I have a bunch of jars of like poo uh-huh. with little names written on them. Horse <laughs> guy who played Horseshack. <laughs> right? <laughs> guy who played Son in Sanford and Son. Yeah. We should look that up. I bet that's it can't it can't not be the case. The, yeah, it yes. And right. if it if it doesn't happen, it's cause somebody got caught and got like the screws put to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But people are still doing it. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> she also, well, she claims, I don't know what, looking back, I can't imagine what point she's trying to make by mentioning this, uh-huh. but that Elvis was taking medications for a twisted colon, Oof. which is like, I mean, I've never, I don't hang out with doctors. No, I guess I was married to a doctor, so I can't quite claim that. <laughs> but I have to imagine, I've never heard of a twisted colon. I, I, if there are twisted colons, I feel like I've heard it in relation to like veterinary medicine, like <laughs> horses or dogs or something. <laughs> Horse disease. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like a diagnosis that has never been given north of the Mason-Dixon. I, I buy it. Like, and what's even more interesting is like, there's a pill that untwists yeah, your colon. <laughs> like I would think that if you have a twisted colon, like that's got to be corrected surgically. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's a pill, yeah. unless it's a pill shaped like <laughs> yeah. like a big spear or something, yeah. and it actually like physically untwists your colon. Uh, she moves into his Elvis's. Oh man, as you mentioned earlier, his uh, all his aliases. Mm-hmm. John Burroughs being the most commonly used one. That was. What he used as his official code name when he became a treasury agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, presented himself to the treasury as a potential agent. You know, special agent John Burroughs. She also, and this comes up a lot, that a very he would very commonly use civil. Yeah. S-I-V-L-E. Civla. Civla Nora uh, Yelserp. <laughs> which uh, canny listeners will realize is Elvis Aaron Presley backwards. Civil Nora Yelserp. <laughs> it is maybe the best stupid fucking <laughs> thing on the planet. Yeah. The idea of him thinking he's going to get away with yeah. like his fake death. <laughs> yes, sir. What's your name, sir? Civil. <laughs> Civil. Okay. How do you spell that? 
Last well, name? it's just like, it's Elvis backwards. <laughs> yeah, that's the easiest way to think of it. What's your last name? Yelserp? Civil Yell. How do you spell that? Well, <laughs> easiest way. Hold What's your middle here. name? <laughs> Nora. Nora. Isn't that a woman's name? No. No. <laughs> Instant karate stance. What was that? Hmm? Yeah. Civil Nora Yelserp. And so there's a lot of civil turns up a lot throughout the rest of this book. Many sightings after his alleged death. And then he invariably signs something or introduces himself, you know, as civil Yelserp. Yeah. <laughs> so Orion, as we mentioned earlier, Orion at some point calls Gail. I think this is actually, I think she calls, I think Orion calls Gail multiple times. Or someone claiming to be Orion. Yes. Could actually be Elvis. In most of his calls, there's no real reason to be calling. He just kind of rambles in a philosophical way. Y- yeah. Um, which I kind of buy. I do too. Yeah, he does spend a lot of time calling people. Mm-hmm. You know, very that. random people too. A lot of fan club presidents. Fan club people. Yeah, a lot of fan club people. Yeah, that he didn't know at all in life. Yeah. Oh, and I want to talk to that woman who wrote that book that's vaguely based on me, but isn't. Let's give her a call. <laughs> yeah, I, I just got a need to speak cryptically to someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he calls Gail and goes into the screed. And this I buy. I mean, if there's any good proof that Elvis was alive after 1977, this is it. He calls her up, or Orion calls her and starts rambling, talking about, you know, there was only one soul in Gladys's egg. Which right off the bat, like, I would probably hang up the phone. It's <laughs> like, can you imagine being that deep inside Gladys's guts? Ugh. It'd just be a stuffed up in there. <laughs> <laughs> like how hot and stinky it would be. Would that be gross? Yeah. Ugh. Makes me think of hard-boiled eggs for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's only one soul in that egg, and then it splits with twins. And so they each get half, which is bad. So they each have half a soul, which I guess is a curse if both twins live. You both are working with half a soul. That kind of sucks. But then if you're lucky enough that one dies, that soul goes into the other soul. But then to quote... Orion slash Elvis, that living one gets twice the talent, twice the fame, yet also twice the sorrow, twice the pain. So even outside of the metaphysics of that, that you get twice the sorrow and pain, he's, you know, just mathematically that doesn't really make sense because yeah. really you're back to one full soul. Right. Like, wouldn't it make more sense for this person to be like, there are two souls with twins, one dies and you get them both. But yeah. the fact that it's split into now you're just two back. halves, you're, you're back just to back one. to, yeah. Yeah, you're just the normal you're breaking amount. breaking even. Of, you get the normal <laughs> amount of talent and pain. <laughs> so that's a little off. But frankly, that's very credible to me that Elvis would fuck up that math, right? <laughs> in some like half awake phone call in the middle Yeah, of the he night. didn't major in shop in high school, apparently. <laughs> yeah, not soul splitting. <laughs> yeah, and you have some questions about this too. Yeah, so if Elvis is into this idea or this version of Elvis is into this idea of like a metaphysical absorption. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like my, I absorbed my dead twin soul and now I have special powers. Like, and I take this as part of like the seventies occultism too, but like, would he be into the physical like version of that as well? Do you think Elvis could like be convinced to become a cannibal? Like if I eat my enemy's liver I absorb his strength. Yeah, I feel like there is some, maybe not eating it, 
But I don't know, man. You think about all that occulty stuff he was getting into. Bathing in it, Countess Bathory style. Yeah, or just like licking it or something. Yeah. I mean, for me, like the whole, I think we referenced the Mike Stone like yeah. assassination plot in the last episode. The, the opening part of Elvis, what happened. Mm-hmm. So like, you think if he goes through with that, he's like, you know, it must be done. Like, and also like, <laughs> <must be done. laughs> like, like red, I want you to reach into that man's chest and bring back his heart. I had you killed and I ate your heart. And now I got all your super karate powers. <laughs> I can see there being some way of convincing Elvis that to ingest something, maybe not a whole organ. Yeah, I was like, grind up somebody's tooth. I was literally thinking of a tooth. I was literally thinking like swallow a tooth. I mean, that's like the least gross thing. I think depends whose teeth. Yeah, that. Yeah, and the particular tooth. I'm sure. Like, yeah, it's nasty. But you're right. It is about the least disgusting thing. I mean, like you could do like toenails or something like that. Oh. That's pretty nasty. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's not going to be as goopy. Hopefully, as like sucked out his eyeballs, man. Yeah. And now I have the gift of second sight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention is that in his theorem here, twice the talent, twice the fame, yet also twice the sorrow and twice the pain, (laughs) I like that he includes fame as a biological trait. (laughs) Like somehow each person has an allotment of fame that they're born with that... You can double up on. So that's kind of where she starts really digging into what I would consider the stupid proof section of this book. And she is, I mean, there is so much stupid proof. Yeah. And actually we've been talking about stupid proof for about an hour already. Yeah. But it just gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And really like when you pull it out and discuss it, individual bits of this stupid truth it's pretty fun and entertaining but it's one of these things where getting through the book and weeding through it all is really not fun at all it's yeah extremely tedious and i, I mean to, to underscore that just like how tedious this book is it's like just over 200 pages yeah i mean and it, it was hard it's, <laughs> it's a hard 200 pages it sucks yeah it's a slog it's similar to like you'll watch a movie and you won't really enjoy it but then you tell your friend about it, and you're like, how did I not like that? Like, as oh, I just yeah. relate the plot details, like, that is an insane movie. Like, I should love that. Right. And yet I did not enjoy watching it, mm-hmm. you know? And then she gets into all the sightings. There are some great sightings in this. The one, the Louisville, Kentucky sighting is killer. She says that four different people, all different, claim there's a plane parked outside of Louisville, Kentucky that's registered to E and has been lived in by an unknown person. I've heard of people living on like boats and yachts. Yeah. But I don't understand how one would live on a plane. <laughs> just like parked in a hangar somewhere or on an airfield or just like. Just outside of town. Just yeah. On the edge of town. Yeah. My reading was just in some field. Like he just parked in a field. It was just this giant plane. Yeah. Uh, and that some guy is living in. And they quote is the plane is large with all the comforts of home and even has a swimming pool area. Yeah, not just a swimming pool, a swimming pool area. That's a big ass plane. I mean, I just see like a plane, like like you say, in a field with an above ground swimming pool, like planted <laughs> outside of it. But I don't think that's what they're talking about. No, it's inside. Yeah, in the in the plane. She's not talking about a hot tub. 
There's a swimming pool. It's an auditorium. <laughs> yeah. But then you got to ask, like, so people know there's a pool inside and that it's outfitted, the plane is outfitted with all the comforts of home, and yet no one knows who this person is. Yeah. So how did, how did they get in there? Like, obviously, the, the person didn't invite them in. Mm-hmm. Did he, like, go out to run errands and forget to, like, wheel that little, like, stairway away yeah. from, like, the side of the plane? <laughs> or did they, like... Wait till they left and they went up there with a bunch of ladders and crawled up and like peeked through the windows. <laughs> or they just like saw from the ground that some of the windows are all steamed up. And they're like, oh, that's probably well, that's the humidity pool. from yeah. the natatorium. Like, <laughs> or they, they spied a guy through the window with like a bathing cap and goggles on. <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> Who is this man? But it really like, all, that story reminds me so much of like you hear about all the, uh, what is like fake recovered memory. Uh-huh. Like satanic abuse. Yeah, satanic stories. abuse and like alien abduction stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like someone in like almost a hypnotic state recounting just like drivel from their minds yeah. and then taking that as truth. Uh-huh. So like, you know, these satanic abuse kids would talk about like being like flushed on toilets and then like <laughs> yeah. I was flushed on a toilet and then they made me eat a baby and then I was in a hot air balloon. And then somebody stuck a spatula up my butt. Yeah. And Bill Bill Clinton was there. Yeah. Right. And he was making spaghetti. And this has that same feel of just like sheltered, uneducated people being like, yeah, and the plane was so big and there was a <laughs> limpet pool in there and so many ferns. A, a roller rink. <laughs> yeah, a roller rink. A go-kart track. <laughs> and oh, the Elvis was there <laughs> and his face was soft like mink fur. And the smell was just heavenly. Right? It smelled like lavender and it smelled like little babies. His feet had little baby feet, right? It just has that tone to it. Yeah. <laughs> and really, of all the possible theories of Elvis post fake death, like him, like, I'm going to fake my death, live on a plane <laughs> in a field outside of Louisville, Kentucky, not talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> have to, every time I leave the plane, I have to wheel this. I like like lock up the stairs. I go up to my door. I have to like, you know, do all the maintenance on my own pool. I can't let anyone in here. Hey, it's Brad. Uh, once again, we recorded way too much, so this is going to be a, a two-parter, which is why this ends kind of out of nowhere. So, apologies for that. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, see you next week, I guess. Bye. Everybody is gone away. Said they're moving to L.A.